Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. This is the Court Today replay on C103. Hoping on this Wednesday morning that we find you all in good form. John Paul is taking your calls. If there's anything you want to share with us on the programme this morning, we'd love to hear from you. 1850 333 103. You can text your WhatsApp as well to 086 103 103. And we get various stages during the show where the phones get really, really busy. And I know it's very frustrating if you're trying to get through and you don't get through. And I know it's frustrating for us when we're watching phones ringing and we can't get to all of uh, the phone calls. So please remember to use the text or the WhatsApp service, uh, particularly if you want to us, if you want to request a callback so we can ring you back when the phones aren't as busy. Um, if there's something that you really want to talk to us about. And our email address is always available as well, Patricia at c103.ie and I'll start the programme with a thank you because uh, in the post this morning came a lovely um, handwritten letter from Mary and Jerome in Killa uh, who sent a very very kind donation for my trip to Belarus at the start of May and put in the they put in the letter that they hope that the uh, donation will spread a little happiness to some of the children there my goodness but it will. Thank you very much. It's a very, very generous uh, donation. So thank you. And in in the letter saying that they're looking forward to hearing how the trip goes when when I return. What we're hoping to do actually when I'm over in Belarus on the Friday that's at the May Bank Holiday weekend I'm hoping to do a quick phone link back into John Paul because they're two hours ahead. So at that stage, I will hopefully have got to see some of the children in the orphanage and, and met up with some of the children that we're hoping to reconnect with. So fingers crossed, phones and all that and everything working. Uh, I'll do a quick link back on the Friday. But uh, just to acknowledge, very kind, generous donation arrived safe today. While I'm on the thank yous, Mary Collity from Newmarket was on to me to say that they had their Daffodil Day for 2019 uh, along with an Irish coffee morning on St Patrick's Day and between the two events in Newmarket they raised uh, 7,000 euro it was a handsome sum of money indeed and they split it up and, and divided it bulk of it obviously went to the Irish Cancer Society 5,250 euro but they also gave 500 euro to Down Syndrome Centre 250 euro to Sightsavers and 1,000 euro went to Breast Cancer Research and Marymount Hospice and they just wanted say a huge thank you to everybody who helped out in any way either at the Irish Coffee Morning on St Patrick's Day or on Daffodil Day itself itself. well done one and all now coming up on the programme this morning we're going to hear from a West Cork family who have been forced forced to launch a fundraising campaign because they are trying to get a wheelchair accessible car for their young son 
they have a little boy who suffers from quite a rare uh, condition and he's five and he's wheelchair bound and will be wheelchair bound uh, for the rest of his life. And of course, when children are smaller and when they're kind of toddler stages, it's easy just to pop them in and out of the car. But as they get bigger, uh, it makes it it's so much harder for the parents. And in many cases, it falls on the moms to try and lift a child who's growing in both weight and length, getting them in and out of the car. So, of course, the easiest way for somebody who is in a wheelchair is to have a wheelchair accessible car that literally the wheelchair just wheels on and off. So that's what this family are hoping to do. And with a little bit of help from from family, friends and I take it complete strangers, they hopefully will be able to achieve their goals sooner rather than later. So we'll chat with uh, that family in a couple of minutes on the programme. Uh, We're also going to hear the no side to a directly elected mayor. Yesterday we spoke with Senator Jerry Bottomer. And Senator Jer- Jerry Bottomer is heading up the Yes campaign on behalf of the Fine Gael party for the plebiscite, which is going to be held the same day as the European and local elections and the same day that we've got a referendum. It's going to be held in the city. You know, the, these plebiscites are only going on in Cork City, but they're also going on in Waterford and they're also going on in uh, Limerick. Those three areas have kind of been selected as the test cases uh, for them. And it's a simple yes, no answer to the people in, in those areas. Would you like to elect a directly elected mayor? Now, you, you won't be electing a mayor at these local elections It'll be in about two and a half years. The first, that's if the plebiscite is passed, the first mayor will be elected, then they'll stay in place for two and a half years and then that will bring us up to the next local elections after the 2019 one and then they'll run for five years thereafter. But in order to have the directly elected mayor, the people are getting the chance to have their say and it's up to the people to say yay or nay. So yesterday we heard the yes side of the campaign and Jay Bottomer gave all the reasons why he felt a directly elected mayor, why it was necessary and also why it would be good for Cork City. Today, we're going to hear from a former Lord Mayor so knows what the position, knows what the, well, certainly the ceremonial position, uh, knows what it entails. But this former Lord Mayor thinks it's a bad idea to have a directly elected mayor. So I'm really interested in hearing his thoughts and uh, comments. And then at about um, after 11 we're going to hear from a family who are remembering their son and brother who died a little over two years ago now and he had become homeless. He had been battling with an alcohol addiction and he also had been battling mental health uh, issues and you know, some would say probably was leading a very chaotic life, but to, you know, to his family, he was a son, he was a brother, he was, you know, a cousin. He was, you know, to others, he was a much loved friend. And uh, sadly, the life caught up with him and he passed away at a young, young age. So the family have decided to do a memorial walk because they want to remember him. They want his, for his life not to be wasted and, and just to remember him. So we'll speak with that family about the, their son on the programme uh, today. Racing home for Easter Festival. Yes, Easter. We're into uh, Easter week. Today is Spy Wednesday. Racing home for Easter Festival will kick off on Saturday. There's three days of racing. Isn't there Friday? 
Saturday, Sunday and Monday, I'm sure. And then there's a, it's backed up with the Racing on Easter Festival, which happens around the town of Mallow in the main in Mallow Castle. It's always a nice day out for all of the family. And the terrific news from a racing point of view is the weather forecast. We're meant to be having a cracker of an Easter from a weather forecast point of view bring it on and we certainly all will, will look forward to having nice weather for Easter and in the past we have had I think the later Easter is the better the chance you, ha- you, ha- you have of having nice Easters I can remember some gorgeous Easters where you were you know there were the suntan lotion was coming out because the temperatures were so warm and we're kind of looking at something like that for this weekend. It is Wednesday so Peter Dowdle will join us answering all of your gardening questions you can get the gardening questions in throughout the morning and we'll put them to Peter after half past 12 today 1850-333-103 and I've been asked to mention because this is happening tonight it's the 10th annual Ballantosha's Four Mile Road Race and it's timed to start in East Cork at 8 o'clock and it is one of the biggest annual road races of the year in Cork County and in the region of a thousand competitors are expected to take part. Now the entry desks will be open from one o'clock this afternoon but the race proper not getting underway until eight o'clock this evening. But if you if you are entering you need to go to Ballantotis Community Centre from one o'clock today. Now the organisers are particularly worried with a thousand competitors coming about parking spaces. Uh, And they're asking participants to arrive early and also if participants could make an extra special effort to carpool rather than all of the competitors turning up in a car on their own. If you know of somebody else going, could you carpool to cut down on the number of cars because they they are fearful that they may have a bit of problem and that their car parks and the car the arrangements that they have for the car parks may be pushed put under pressure and this is because of the heavy rain that they've had of late so people taking part in the 10th annual Ballantosha's four mile road race if you would consider carpooling please the organisers would be delighted with I mentioned that uh, we're into Easter week and Easter Sunday uh, fast approaching but of course before we get to Easter Sunday we have Good Friday and remember this time last year we were all talking about it that for the first time in 90 years all publicans around the country were legally able to serve alcohol and there was so much who how about it and people just for the sake of I think the break in the tradition people wanted to go along and have a pint people who normally wouldn't even think about going out to have a pint on a Friday went out last year just for the day that was in it but then there was others I remember we had some very heated discussions and arguments on the programme there were some uh, people very much against it and you know the argument being there's two days out of the year that the pubs close the other one obviously being Christmas Day can we not stay with the tradition do people need alcohol that bad that the pubs need to open on Good Friday but then of course we heard on numerous occasions the other side of the arguments from restaurants and hoteliers and bars about tourists coming to Ireland who had no knowledge of the fact 
that pubs closed on Good Friday and you know reports certainly from the city and tourist areas of some tourists walking around trying to get into venues and knocking on doors and couldn't understand why it was closed particularly at uh, lunchtime so certainly a lot of publicans very much in favour but hotels and restaurants were definitely one of the big backers of it. A lot of the papers um, this year are picking up um, the village of Drum. Drum Conrath. It's in County Meath and they have three pubs and they have decided for the second year running to mark the old long-standing tradition and they are going to remain closed on Good Friday. The three publicans, I mean, I'm assuming they all got together. There's a Dermot Muldoon, a Pauline Frey and a Pat Dempsey and they say they're going to continue with the old uh, tradition and they're going to keep a lid on the alcohol. Now one of them um, made, Mr Muldoon made the point the publicans get two days off in the whole year so they decided to keep with the holiday. It's it's a tradition they wanted to keep with and they also he said they're doing it, they want to have a bit of respect for our religion so I, I, must, I assume from that he's probably a, a practising uh, Catholic and he said last year they got a lot of support from the customers, the majority of whom he said would observe fasting on Good Friday and they'd be staying off drink anyway. So he wouldn't be having a queue of people outside his pub because his regulars are the type of people who are fast on Good Friday. They're fast in abstinence, so they're not going to be uh, drinking. He is planning himself, though, on having a tipple. thought this was interesting. He is going to Northern Ireland for the day. Um, well, not for the day. He's going for the weekend. He's taking a bit of a weekend break, so he's, he's going away. But he's going to go up on Friday. He says, I might even have a drink up there. It's the novelty factor of having a drink on the other side of the counter on a day that you normally can't get one down south. So he will have um, a drink. And the other, the lady... Uh, the female publican, Pauline Frey, she said that the day enables publicans to just completely switch off and to spend some time with uh, family. So we were talking about this before we came on air this morning and then I was saying to John Paul, I remember last year, Newmarket, we had, we spoke with some of the publicans in Newmarket and we had a lot of people who congratulated the publicans in Newmarket six, if my memory serves me right, there's six bars in Newmarket and they all remained closed last year. They got together and decided, no, you know, it's a day off. It's tradition. You know, it's a it's a day off that publicans look forward to. And they decided that they were going to close. And they, they had a lot of backing, I remember at the time. I know a lot of the people who frequent their bars were very supportive uh, of it. So I don't know whether Newmarket are doing it again this year or not. Have they decided to stay with the tradition or did they, did the publicans in Newmarket decide it was a one-off last year and are now, are they going to go and change their minds this year and will all of the six pubs decide to uh, open? We'll see if we can find out what's going on in Newmarket but certainly that little village in County Meath they're getting a lot of publicity because they've come out and said for the second year running they are certainly going to remain closed. So it brings up the whole argument of Good Friday. I mean have people even thought about it this year or was it one of those things last year where we have we have people almost completely forgotten that up to last year pubs used to close on Good Friday or is it still very much in people's psyche they're still not used to the fact that they can go and have a drink if they so wish on Good Friday. Now the family of a little boy in 
West Cork, born with a rare terminal condition, has started a fundraising campaign to purchase a wheelchair accessible car. Mary O'Driscoll from Skibbereen joins me to talk about her son, David, who will be five in June. Good morning to you, Mary. Good morning. Uh, you're welcome Hi. to the programme. Tell me, a li- tell me a little bit about David and the condition that he was born with. Well, um, David is four years old. He's turning five in June. Um, I got pregnant with David when I was 21. All my pregnancy went fine. There was never any um, concerns or issues. Um, even at birth, there wasn't any um, concerns. We came home like any other mum and dad would. Um, as time went on, um, David, uh, David was in meeting and he was my son. So I kind of got concerned and everyone kept saying to me, he's come on, he's come on. Every child is different. But as a mom, like, I kind of knew myself, you know, that's like, it's not right. But it was it was your first child, your firstborn yes, child. So first. so you're listening to everybody saying, Oh, you know, some children develop slower than others. Don't worry about exactly. it. Exactly. So like, you're you're so trying like, to put it to the back of your head. Yes, like as in some mum could come up to me and say, Her child didn't walk until he was one and a half. Her yeah. child didn't cause me was twelve twelve months. You know, I was getting all this. But deep down in me I was like, No, there's something going wrong. Like or someone The, the, the line isn't isn't the best. If you just, yeah, no, you're okay. If you just keep the phone very close to to uh, to, uh, to your mouth. Yeah, say the he was diagnosed with what was it called? Live in It's a really really rare brain condition. It's Which I'm assuming you had never heard of before. Oh no, never, never. Like it's basically a smooth brain. Um, David don't have the bumping group that a brain still has. Okay. So, so you're sitting opposite a doctor who's telling you this is what is wrong with your son? Yes. And I was just in completely shock. Now, Dad was there as well. Like, and we just looked at each other as if we had two heads. I was like, what? Now, it didn't even sink into me on that day. I just kind of played along. But thinking back now, thinking back now I'm like, I should have done more. Because like way that it came out to me that they said it, whereas I was written and told that everything was fine. You know? Yeah, there and was there time. wasn't anything else you could have done. You 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 trust and believe these people. And that's what like like even when 
I'm thinking back like going through pre- pregnancy. How come nothing was picked up on, you know? Like, Jesus, like you think you're going for scans to make sure that your child is healthy and safe, safe and, you know, and mm. none, none of this was picked up on, you know? And I was young at the time, like it was my first choice. This was all new to me. I know. I know. No? And this condition means, what, what sort of difficulties does David have because of this condition? Um, well, David can, cannot walk. Um, he can't talk. Now, he does have a few little words like, hi, uh, I'm trying to say, I did, or maybe Dada, but he wouldn't be saying him to you, trying to keep, like, as in to say, like, calling his Dada. You know, it's just words that he'd be blabbing out. I know. Um, like, he's not calling or anything. Now, he'll he go sometimes on his phone, on the floor, but um, his must tone is a bit weak. Now, he has come a long way from where he was nearly a year, year ago. Now, I would like to do St. Joseph's girls and that's to be for that because without them, I don't think David's progress would have came on so much. Like, his teacher there, his SNA, they're brilliant. The school is fantastic. Like they brought him a long way from where he was when he started. But like I'm looking at David, like down the line for him. Like David's not going to be able to walk, so a normal turn like is not suitable for for me. Like David has done a buggy chair that you can clip onto um, and adapt it to it. He's got that at home, but every time that we travel. Yeah, and he's getting, you know, he's obviously four going on five when he, you know, when you're, when a child oh, is a toddler. Very heavy, like, yeah, he's, he's and, yeah. and, and he will get taller and bigger as the years go on. Oh, he is, you know, and even now, like, when I'm lifting him, it's like all the time it's fine, but now, like, my back, my back is starting to, like, you know, get So he's on medication now, for that, is he? He is, yes. And thank God the medication has them under control. But David would always be at high risk of epilepsy with his living testimony because they all match in. Like, it, it's all with, like, living testimony. You will end up getting epilepsy. Are there any other children in Ireland with the condition that you know um, of? Well, I I um, only know of one. Um, I, um, I actually keep in contact with her. Yeah. Now I know a few more through social media, but they're like over in Australia and America, you know, all these kind of places. There's only one in Ireland that I know. No one. Yeah, it's extremely rare. Yes. Is it? Do, oh, do it you is. know, um, Mary? Is it? Is it hereditary? The condition. What do you mean now by that? Did Sorry, is is no. is there a chance that if you had another child that you oh could have um, the same well, condition? Um, David had genetic testing done. Now, me and Dad are in the progress of I've that. Had, yeah. when, when David's genetic results came back, um, he had different testing type 2. So that means that either mum or dad is actually carrying the gene. Ah, okay. So we don't know which one yet, but yes, whichever one it comes out on, there is a 25% chance of having a second child that it could end up with living testing again. Because David is your one and only? Yes, oh, he's my one and o- o- only. And no one, 
me, are you ever going to handball? And it's not just because there is a 25% risk. I don't even think about that part. I wouldn't have a second choice because I'd feel guilty if that choice was able to run around the walls and, you know, all this, and then David couldn't. Like, I'm blessed to have him here now with me, and that, that's going to be it. Like, there's going to be no more just him, you know? Okay. Like, I put all my work into him. You know, I give him the care that he needs. If David wanted to be up in my arms for 12 hours Sunday on one day, if that's what makes him happy, that's what I do. Uh, God bless you. Know? you. You're great. You're a great little mother. You you really like, are. And and David, and David also, um, he does a lot of frustration. And he bangs his head a lot. And he's constantly banging. And like and you know he he like he often bangs me into the teeth. He often like I um I ended up with a tattoo once because of it. You know, but then sometimes you might go into a supermarket and David in his um, buggy and he's like. He's actually getting into it. He's actually so frustrated at this stage. He's whacking his head. And, like, you can have the whole shop staring at you. And I'm thinking, I'm thinking, I'm a bad mum. But deep down, they don't know what's going on. You know? And people don't understand um, his no, condition. They, no, they don't. Okay, so you've launched like this. Me, you know? He, you've launched a GoFundMe page, um, Mary. I, I, to, you're trying to raise it's it's twenty thousand euro yes. to buy a wheelchair accessible yes. vehicle. Okay, and would you have fundraising events outside outside um, of the GoFundMe page? I was page? actually going to say uh, that um, there will be fundraising events coming up. Okay. Um, we don't have dates and um, stuff yet. Like there's bingo nights and all that coming up, and I will be coming back on air to release. But I'm asking any public out there, people that don't want to even donate to the GoFundMe, which I would be grateful if they could. But also, if there's anyone out there that wants to donate bank prizes for these fundraisers coming up, I, I would be ever so grateful. Okay. All right, listen, we'll stay in contact with you, Mary. And and how is how is David at the moment? Well, um, he's okay now. Um, like, uh, he's he was actually sitting down last night, David, and one of the high temperatures. Um, now he's fine again this morning, but um, when temperatures come on him, like I'm like epilepsy, you know, that's the first thing that's in my head because they bring bring it straight on. But like he's this morning, now he's a lot frustrated, kind of head banging and stuff, you know. But like he gets days like that, and now that David's on the holiday, he's kind of out of his routine, yeah, and he can get bored. Well, so it's all kind of, you know. Yeah. It's also like he's, you know, he's used to getting up in the morning, going to school with his friends, you know, doing work with his SNAs and his teacher, and you know, and all of that life. So. Okay. All right. So we'll, the the like GoFundMe page is Adapt Car for a David. For David. Yeah. Okay. And I'm hoping that the public will help. You know, I like I'm not doing this for me. I'm not doing it for that. I'm not doing it for no one. Cause for him and I didn't want to but it was my friend Tara she asked me she asked me asked me to set up the GoFundMe and she's actually the one that's in charge organising all the fundraising and everything 
All right, I'll leave it there. Unfortunately, the line okay. the line it really hasn't been great, but we've we've muddled through. But listen, uh, thank Sorry. you, uh, Mary. Good luck with and it. Thanks so much. Um, and yeah. stay in contact with us. Uh, thanks a million. Thanks a million. Look okay, after yourself. You. Bye bye, Mary O'Driscoll. There, joining us from Skibbereen in West Cork desperately trying to do the very best as any mother would do for her little boy uh, David and uh, €20,000 hoping to raise through a GoFundMe page and as you heard her say she'll do other, there'll be other fundraising events in the area for people in the Skibbereen area, keep a look out uh, for it. Now yesterday we heard the reasons why the Fine Gael party are asking people in Cork to vote yes in the May plebiscite to vote on a directly elected Lord Mayor for the city. Well a former Lord Mayor is calling on voters to reject the proposal and Joe Callahan joins me to explain why. Good morning to you Joe. Good morning Patricia. Uh, you're, you're welcome. Now as a former Lord Mayor why would you not like to see a future Mayor with, a, with executive powers and more powers than you would have had when you were a Mayor? Yeah well there are a number of reasons from my point of view. Uh, first of all in this day and age of a lot of waste of public and taxpayers' money. Uh, I think it's another occasion when you're going to see perhaps every year another few million sunk into a black hole unnecessarily because it's going to create another level of bureaucracy on top of bureaucracy. It's going to create, as you say, uh, a directly appointed executive uh, who will have a number of programme managers which will grow as the years go on, who will have a number of advisors, who will have a number of secretarial and the initial figure of maybe, say, half a million, I guarantee you, uh, by two years' time, will be two, three or four million. The second point is that even apart from that, uh, it doesn't make sense uh, in relation to the way it's structured. Because you're going to have uh, a mayor with executive powers at the same time it's going to obviously clash with the chief executive or what was known as the former city or county manager having the same type of powers uh, maybe a little bit different, but there's going to be a complete, co- uh, constant uh, contrast and conflict uh, between them as to who calls the shots, uh, good, bad, or different. The other thing uh, that's even more important as far as I'm concerned is that the present system of yearly rotation is not a very bad thing. Uh, it's in, in the, the historical context of Cork, it has served it very well. I talk now primarily, first of all, about Cork City. Uh, it was there from early days. Uh, Lord Mayor McSweeney, Lord Mayor McCurtain uh, were nominally technically there for a year. Uh, they had no problem with it. Uh, and it served the people. And you see, the most important point, Patricia, is this, that the system at the moment gives all areas, whether it's Blackpool, Farnree, Bishopstone, Ballincolleg, or anywhere else, coming Blarney coming into the, into the new area, gives each area an opportunity Okay, it's only on a yearly basis, but an opportunity for one of their own to represent them. In the, in the as as Lord Mayor, that yeah, that that is a good point. But the way it's done at the moment, it really is a ceremonial role. I mean, and my worry, and I did put this question yesterday to uh, to Senator Jerry Bottomer, and I mean, people love the idea of the mayor coming for whatever kind of an annual event it is. But if you have a directly elected mayor with all of these executive powers, you know, and a nice wage packet, they'll work hard for that wage packet. Isn't there a danger? There's just not a hope they're going to be able to perform the duties that the old Lord Mayor did. Absolutely. 100% correct. Uh, in Cork City in particular, 
one of the most traditional and historical uh, situations to carry out has been the, the yearly uh, visit to all schools by the Lord Mayor. Now, it sounds a small thing, but believe you me, it's a very, very important event in the lives of the kids that, that, that traditionally get uh, the, the Lola half day off, uh, that kind of thing. No, that's a small thing, but it's historically important, and I guarantee you what you've said is correct. There is not a chance in the world of the new, if, if, if directly Lord, Lord Mayor or Mayor, having the remotest interest, because they won't have to. They'll be there for five years, they'll have a fine sinecure, they'll have a big cabinet protecting them, and I can tell you, the last thing they'll be interested in is going around to the ordinary school kids of Cork City. So even from a historical point of view, you're dead right, it will lose its ceremonial contact with the ordinary people of Cork, and that's a bad thing. And I think it's it's unnecessary... I mean, go, 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 go back it's, to when you were Lord Mayor. I mean, how busy a year was it? No, I'll be honest about it, it was a very busy year. It is always a very busy year. You're in constant demand. Uh, but, like, you know that you're there for a year, so you're going to give it your best shot from the second that you land to the, to the last minute that you leave. But and you couldn't have done a full-time job at the same time. No. Yeah. No, I don't think anyone does. Um, it, generally, uh, people get, uh, as in my own case, you get you get leave of absence. From, if you're working, you get leave of absence from your job, Patricia. Yeah, so you, you take a sabbatical, and, and then yeah, and then you th- and you throw you throw it into that. I mean, that, uh, yeah, I have to say that is my big concern. It's the ceremonial side of it is going to lose. But go back to the the money side of it. What if this new directly elected mayor replaced some of the ex- existing executives? The, the intention, they, they, they say, is for, is for the new elected mayor to have more executive power. But my, my concern, my question is, how can you have two people um, with different titles making the same decisions? Um, one, uh, a political elected, and the other, the city manager or chief executive um, appointed, cannot be removed because he's part of the civil servants uh, anywhere. It, do, it doesn't make sense. And it, it will create conflict and, and, and problems. Yeah, there's there's a there's a lot of things there's a lot of things to, to iron out. Like, uh, but but I mean the Taoiseach... Patricia, yeah. another, can I make another point? What 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 also uh, upsets me a bit somewhat? Um, they have no problem uh, in having a directly elected uh, mayor in Cork City, but at the same time they have eliminated uh, the, the entire county. Like I mean. Look, I'm looking, I'm, I'm in Blarney, I'm a Blarney resident, I'll be in the city council, or sorry, in the city uh, from here on, whether I'm uh, elected uh, or, or not, is immaterial, but take, take half mile up the road, all my neighbours in the county, um, you know, have no say, good, bad, or different, why the discrimination against the county... Well, I, I, I can tell you, and I can already see uh, comments coming in saying the very same thing. Whenever we discuss this, we get people in the county saying, why are people in the county not being offered a plebiscite? Why are we not electing, having a directly uh, elected mayor? The Taoiseach said that the directly elected mayors would carry weight and they would have better access to central government. It could mean more funds for the city, Joe. Well, the Taoiseach would say that, wouldn't he? Um, they'll say anything at the moment to try to get the plebiscite carried. Uh, it also diverts attention from other issues. So from their point of view, they're anxious to get it carried. But I think it doesn't stack up. Um, I don't see it having any greater access 
the, the present situation. The, the present situation is a mixture uh, of the executive appointed uh, and the, direct, the, the, the the mayors elected by the people indirectly by, by the council. It's spread fairly across the area it's supposed to represent the city. In the new situation, the mayor, if elected, believe you me, will be there, will be removed and will remove himself or herself pretty promptly early on uh, because he'd be surrounded by a coterie uh, of advisors and programme managers and the people, I can tell you, will only rarely see the new Lord Mayor. But I tell you this, I'm confident actually that, and I have a feeling going around from door to door, uh, from Blarney uh, to Blackpool, uh, that the issue is seen for what it is and will be rejected by the is people. It been, uh, that's interesting. Is it, is it being discussed? Are people talking to you about it? Uh, yeah, quite a number of people well, are talking about it, well, uh, asking, asking the questions, how relevant, what's your opinion as a former Lord Mayor, what do you think? And there's quite a number of, of my colleague former Lord Mayors feel the same, but I'm probably the only guy that has come out uh, it, it, publicly about it. But I'll be doing that on a lot of issues because I'm now free as an independent. Uh, of course, which I was, I was yeah. just going to get to before we let you go. At the start of this month, you were a member of Fine Gael, but you've now declared as, as an independent for, for the locals. You didn't get the nomination for the North West Ward. Was that your reason for leaving the Fine Gael party? Uh, that was only part, let's be honest about it. Uh, the, the, the major, the, the crunch point uh, were, were two things. One, uh, the total unaccountability uh, for public monies culminating in the over half a billion loss uh, of, of, the, of the National Children's Hospital. No one, no one sacked, no one resigned, no one moved aside. Uh, the other issue was the whole question uh, of the, the pussyfooting of, of government in relation to their treatment of, of people who who go join ISIS and, 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 you know, they nearly send the government yet for them. So I'm concerned about law and order uh, of the government. But regardless of that, um, I intended standing in the local elections. Uh, I'm not standing for Fine Gael. I'm quite happy now uh, standing, taking my chances with the people as an independent. Uh, if elected, I'll be saying a lot of things that I couldn't have said as a member of the Fine Gael party. OK, time will tell if you'll get elected, uh, Joe. We wish yep. you luck with it. And uh, thank you for joining us on the programme thank this you morning. Good, talk to you sure. good morning Lovely. to you. Uh, bye bye. That is a uh, former Cork Lord Mayor, Joe Callahan. You're listening to Cork Today on replay. Phone and text lines are currently closed. And I can see a gardening question coming in for Peter. Thank you for that. Keep those uh, coming, please. Some more of your commentary. Uh, Patricia, there are enough politicians. If they'd done what they were already paid to do and stop sitting on their hands, we wouldn't be needing directly elected mayors, says a texter. No name on that. Uh, also coming in on Anthony and Ban. Bandon was on to John Paul to say, I was listening to this whole discussion around the directly elected mayors. Well, earlier in the year, I heard the mayor of Cork County speak about the various functions that he needs and has to attend. But the one thing I was thinking about is, is how unfair the county mayor county mayoral role will be if a directly elected mayor is put into the city. Uh, we will have two separate mayors, one with a lot more powers than the other and that's simply not going to be fair. Anthony says he also can never understand why the county mayor is expected to do so much travel. You could have the county mayor in Cantork, then they need to go to Bantry, then they may need to be in East Cork and then 
if they need to go home God knows what part of the county they actually live on then to go home after visiting all of the various uh, places uh, he Anthony always wondered why the county mayor doesn't isn't given for the for the year that he's in place the use of a city centre location like a house or an apartment that would be the county mayor's residence for the year and give him a central location surely it would make uh, more uh, sense or at the end of the day what we need is one mayor for Cork City and County and Anthony Ponders did we make a mistake in not merging both uh, councils well I wonder when you ask the question did we make a mistake there was so many people were in favour of one large municipal county Council that would be city and county. There was a lot of discussions, but the powers that be made the decision in the end and said, "No, we'll stick with two. We'll extend the city, and then the the county are uh, remains the same, but a smaller county council." I can't get over actually the number of people who really do seem to be put out by this whole issue of. And, and we don't know if Cork City are going to get the city are going to get a directly elected mayor or not. But the amount of people in the county that are really feeling hard done by if the plebiscite is passed and if Cork City elect a mayor, people in the county are really judging just anecdotally by the comments we're getting in are starting to feel like they're almost going to be second class citizens. Michael in Castletown Bear says, Patricia, why should any city have more priorities to government or to Brussels or indeed anything else than rural Ireland? That is sickening to hear that rural Ireland is being put on the back burner yet again. There has always been, that has always been the mm, carry on in this country looking down on rural people. There should be one Lord Mayor for the County of Cork and move forward as one. None of this divide and conquer business, thanking you. And that's Michael in Castletown there. One valid point you make um, is this idea that the city would have more access to central government or to Brussels or or to anywhere else if they had a directly elected mayor. I actually was taken aback when I heard Leo Varadkar say that. He was, it was one of the reasons he was put, putting forward as to why this change was needed and why it would be good for not just Cork, but also for Waterford and Limerick, who are the other two areas that are going to vote in this plebiscite. There's why it would be good for these areas to have their own directly elected mayor. And I'm quoting, this was one of the things Leo Varadkar said. He said that person, this would be the directly elected mayor, uh, would have a big mandate. Cork is a big city. That person, in order to get elected, will probably need to have between 50 and 60,000 votes. That will carry weight, said Leo Varadkar, when they represent the city around the world, but also when they come to central government, looking for things to be done around housing and transport and investment. It's going to be much harder for central government not to listen to that person and not to do something. And I was really, when I heard Leo Varadkar was saying that, I was saying, what, so just the areas with directly elected mayors and the Cork one because he'd have got more votes over say the Waterford one and the Limerick one would have got more votes over the Waterford one so there'll be like a pecking order but when they come to central government they'll be listened to they'll get additional funds it does seem very very unfair and certainly for a county the size of Cork it would look like there would be a two tier system 
going on that if Leo Varadkar is right and if what he's predicting will happen that that person carries clout carries weight can go to central government can get the funds but the poor old Lord Mayor from the county who's just doing the ceremonial jobs and representing his councillors that he or she wouldn't have that access to central government and wouldn't be able to get the funds that does uh, smack to me certainly of a a two-tiered local authority Uh, but only time will tell if Leo Varadkar's prediction is right and it does carry clout and they are able to get more access to funds but it certainly will divide uh, the county and actually when I mention Waterford because they're one of the other of the one one of the other two air two areas it's Waterford, Limerick and Cork that get to vote in the plebiscite I read in the paper this morning that a number of county councillors in Waterford have expressed overwhelming opposition to a directly elected uh, mayor for the city and uh, county one of the councillors say that their worries and concerns about a directly elected mayor and I quote we would see deals being done between the mayor and a small group of uh, councillors this is Councillor Gagan. Uh, Waterford Councillor said this. He said mayors might ultimately not enjoy the support of the full uh, council. He reckons it is a recipe for chaos. So not everyone is happy with it and it will all go down to the plebiscite at the end of the day. It will go down to the people of Cork City who turn up to vote at the next elections and the next, uh, the local and European elections. It will be up to them to decide whether they want a directly elected mayor or not. Now, other of your calls coming in, some reaction to Mary who joined us. Mary who was talking about her little son David and her fundraising campaign which is underway. They are trying to fundraise to buy a wheelchair accessible car to make life a little bit easier for David so that she can get him out and about and not dragging him in and out of the car and he's getting heavier whereas if they had a wheelchair accessible vehicle it certainly would make travel much easier. Dennis wants to offer some advice. Dennis says please uh, Patricia just want to wish that family all the very best for their fundraising efforts for their wheelchair accessible vehicle. Can you let them know that if they get a primary medical search then the purchase of the wheelchair accessible vehicle will be VRT exempt and the VAT can be refunded from the revenue and they can check with a vehicle adapter to make sure a wheelchair accessible vehicle is the right purchase for their needs because maybe a hoist might be better or a swivel seat or a chairlift might be more appropriate um, thanking you and kind regards Dennis and, and thank you Dennis yeah there's a lot of questions that they need to answer and find out I suppose at this stage as a little family what they're trying to do is get the money in see if they can fundraise the money and then they can go off and go to the powers that be and say show us what's on offer tell us what we need and tell us where we need to go from here but good words of advice thank you for that Dennis and Nancy in Bantry said she was also listening to Mary's uh, story and it's hard to hear a young mother like that isn't it put out a plea on behalf of her little boy and doing it for her little boy to make life and and this little boy and I didn't get I didn't get too much into it with her because I didn't want to upset her and you know I'm very aware of how difficult the journey that she's on with her little boy and and and, and the little boy's dad it's it's a, it's a tough tough road but it is a terminal condition that little David suffers from and generally speaking uh, children with that condition live to uh, be about 10. So it's, you know, it's, 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 it's a tough, tough road that they're on and, you know, 
if life can be made a little bit easier by getting a wheelchair accessible car for them then you know let's let's see if, if we can get this off the ground for them and, and, um, and raise the money that they need Nancy said I was listening to Mary's story and she said what struck me was that there's billions of euro going from billionaires to do up Notre Dame in Paris while we have people around the world who are starving and then we get to hear Mary's story this morning and just with a small amount of money it's only what is it 20,000 euros she's looking for it's just a drop in the ocean to those billionaires and yet they're giving all of the money to do up uh, Notre Dame did I hear and I'll have to get it checked did I hear the fundraising some had gone to something like 300 million euro uh, yesterday actually the point you're making uh, Nancy about could the money be spent somewhere else rather than you know doing up an old historic iconic building and can I hand on heart fest up and say I visited that um, I, I visited Paris I visited Notre Dame and I don't think I've ever been more touched while entering a premises or a church as I was the day I went into Notre Dame it was just it was it was spellbound spellbinding and I was really upset when I heard that it had gone on fire and to see the photographs that are in the paper today I do want it restored absolutely do want it uh, restored and I accept the arguments that are being put forward there are people starving all over the world but they will you know two wrongs don't make a right I don't think we can leave the iconic building that is Notre Dame and leave it the way it is and I know John O'Donovan yesterday was making that point on the programme he very same as Nancy and Bantry John was saying there are people starving we should be spending the money uh, somewhere else and I actually heard him uh, later on uh, say on national radio that he would leave it as is you know he doesn't want anything really done with it and that's certainly not going to happen and I think but you know people saying as I know yesterday one of the first to come out was one of the big designers from the big fashion designers from Paris a very very wealthy man and he straight away came out with 100 million euro straight off nothing to him to do that now I I don't know that man from Adam we you know he could be very philanthropic he could be giving money to third world charities that we just don't know about or maybe he's the type that he doesn't give to third world charities and that this 100,000 or this 100 million he's willing to give to Notre Dame but he wouldn't be giving it anywhere else he's only giving it because he's a Parisian and he's so touched by this iconic building in his own city and that's the reason that he's, he's doing it but I don't know if we can put one up against the other but there is starting to be that kind of argument but there are fundraisers going on all over the world and campaigns going on in all different countries to do up Notre Dame because as, as a building it seems to have touched so many people. Thank you for your call uh, Nancy and I think that's all of our calls up to date. It is 1850-333-103 and questions coming in for Peter Dowdell. We welcome those. Keep those coming. Um, you can text or WhatsApp as well to 86 103 C103 Jobs Let's kick it off with O'Sullivan Tyres. They have a full-time position available for a tyre fitter. You need to have a full, clean driver's licence. Home Instead Senior Care, they're recruiting caregivers. They're looking for um, for Moy, Mitchellstown, Kilworth and the Araglin areas. Full and part-time waiting staff wanted for the Harbour Bar that's in Lep. Well, a full-time bar person is also required. And Arundel's by the pier. They're looking for a chef to start immediately. You'll find all the details 
and more job opportunities by going online now. Just go to c103.ie forward slash jobs for more. This is C103. On February the 20th, 2017, a young man by the name of Connor O'Hagan died peacefully in the ICU at Tullamore Hospital after two weeks on a life support machine. To the outside world, Connor had lived a chaotic life, homeless and addicted to alcohol, battling mental health issues. But to his family, he was Connor, the son and brother. On the Maybank holiday weekend, his family will remember Connor with a 100-kilometre walk to raise funds for charity. And his dad, Kieran O'Hagan, uh, joins me. Good morning to you, Kieran. Hi, Patricia. Hi. Uh, you're, you're, you're very welcome. You live in Newmarket, but when the children were younger, you lived in uh, the kind of Kilty area. But when but Connor and his twin brother Owen were born in Manchester. So just just let me go back a little bit. When did you realise that Connor had medical issues? Um, within within um, hours of him being born, really, um, <clears throat> one of, one of the um, one of the things that Connor had, he, he had a cleft palate and his, his mum, Sandra, wanted to um, breastfeed the boys. And um, <clears throat> Connor just wasn't able to feed. And so uh, he was taken away quite quickly uh, as they realised something was wrong. And we were just very fortunate that there was somebody in the hospital who knew um, of a condition called De George syndrome which is a, a genetic condition um, and one of, one of the very common uh, factors of, of, of the condition is a, is a cleft palate. Um, but at the same time, he felt Connor was very weak and he found a heart murmur and then within a couple of days they discovered there were three holes in the heart. So there was a lot of medical issues issues Absolutely. to be dealing with shortly yeah. after the birth of twins. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. And, you know... There, there was a the boys have got a, a, an older sister as well, Louise, uh, who was under two at the time. So it, it was it was a fairly uh, it was a fairly traumatic was, time. That to was say the, a, a, a fraught time. So yeah. it's the first few years were were in another hospital, getting conditions sorted, operations. Yeah. So um, in the, in the first number of the majority of his first year was in hospital. So, you know, we were split between his mum being at home because she was obviously breastfeeding Owen and obviously we had Louise as well. And I would spend, you know, many a night in the hospital and then <clears throat> go off to work. Um, and at seven months, he actually had open heart surgery in uh, the Liverpool Children's Hospital. Um, so his heart was repaired at seven months. Um and then after that, there were there were different operations to repair the power, and you know he, over the years he had he had various things with his ears and with teeth and and, and all sorts of all, all very common things with 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 the, with the syndrome that the, he had. The George syndrome, but exactly, he was yeah. but he was doing okay. He was a happy little yeah. lad. Oh, uh, yeah, I mean, by, by the time he, he he went to a special school. Uh, very early on to do assessments and we wanted him to get into mainstream school and, and, and we, he, he was able to go to mainstream school and he was he, he was he was he was a lovely little lad he was a happy little lad uh, he, he was all he was always about a year's develop, development behind Owen you know so he, yeah he and of course the fact that, that you had it you had a twin 
brother, yes. you were really able to compare like with like. Uh, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. yeah. You could always see the, the difference. So he was that. about a year behind, but he was doing okay and, and, and he uh, was happy. Yes. You made the yes. decision then to relocate to Cork, to West yeah, Cork. Yes. Why yes. and how did that come about? Well, um, you probably tell from the, the accent. I'm, I'm not a, I'm not a court man. <laughs> no, okay. Um, yeah, I'm a, so I'm, I'm an Irish Mancunian. My, my mother and father were from uh, Lurgan in County Armagh. So uh, we, we very much considered ourselves as, as an Irish family. I know we're a very, very long way down here from Lurgan in County Armagh. But and you have a good Irish name as well, in fairness. Well, absolutely, yeah, absolutely. Um, but uh, at the time... So it was the mid nineties. Moving to the north wasn't really an option for us, you know. Uh, we, we we wanted to bring the children up somewhere um, more peaceful than Manchester, if you like. Um, and 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 West. I basically came over to West Court to, to Court to see could I get work. Um, I was working in Manchester at the time, and I managed to get a, a, an offer of a job. So we decided um, we, we'd move to um, we'd move to Cork, and um, we. we we based ourselves in Bandon while we were looking around for a, for a house. I was working in the city at the time, uh, and we found we found a, a house in the, in the lovely village of uh, Little Down in West Cork. And that was that was a good move. West Cork was oh. was was good to you. Well, we absolutely loved West Cork. The people of West Cork were, were, were great to us, and we, we absolutely loved being in West Cork. It was it, you know, obviously it's a gorgeous part of the world. Um, you know, and 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 the kids settled into national school there and everything, and yeah, absolutely, it was a, it was a, it was a fantastic move. And then uh, when we kind of moved to secondary school, mm. well, that, that's when things really became. I mean, when we when we first went to the primary school, you know, we told them that in in England he had a one on one. He had somebody who was with him the whole time, helping him in the classroom. He had a you know a teaching assistant, um, and but. They felt that wasn't necessary, um, you know. At the time, we we we, we were a bit sceptical about that, but we saw it as a positive thing that they didn't think things were necessary. But anyway, yeah, when he when he was going to secondary school, there were there were uh, there were sort of assessments beforehand, and very quickly it flagged up that that um, Connor was a long way behind where he should be, really. Um, but unfortunately. Um, whilst we, we we had meetings and were able to set up um, meetings with the relevant people who suggested that he should have 20 hours a week one-on-one tuition, that just took uh, it took to over two years to, to, to establish that. I think, in fact, I think it was three years before we got anything sorted out, and it was even then it was only seven hours a week, so it was a long way short of, of what it should have been. And by this point. Do you know, Connor was. Um, he didn't want that. He didn't want to be different. He didn't yeah. want to be. He's seen. a he's a teenager. He wants to be the same as everybody else. Exactly. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. But 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 I mean, he got through his junior cert, you know, and 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 and, and 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 he did okay. And then yeah. you roll on into transition year, and it's then, isn't it? You really start to see a difference yeah. and a change. Yeah. And, and, and I mean, to, we were always mindful that. With the condition that there's a very high or, or a much higher um, in, instance of, of, of young adolescents, teenagers, young adolescents, young, young adolescents, young, young adults that, that um, 
that developed, you know, mental health issues and the like. So we were always, it was always in the back of your mind. Um, and yeah, he, he began to sort of isolate himself. He began to not look after himself from the hygiene point of view. Um, and, and lots of, you know, I guess there are lots of teenagers, the big people listening, saying, "Well, well, yeah, my, my son, son my daughter's done exactly that, like yeah, that. absolutely." Um, but there was, you, you just always felt there was, was there was that little bit more, um, and then self harming started. <clears throat> Excuse me, and um, you know, yeah, things, he he he. he, he he then had a breakdown, basically, and um, and and as a family, uh, Kieran, you're doing your very best to keep in contact. You're doing your very best to support, uh, to support Connor. But he's very much a free spirit as well, isn't he? Oh, you, absolutely. You know, and that absolutely. that sense of being the nomad, and I need to move on, and I'm a traveller. Absolutely. I mean, he, yeah, absolutely. You know, he, he was he was very much his own man. You know, he, he, even. Even at that age, he could. Tell, he 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 wanted to be different. He was very much into heavy metal. He identified with, with the heavy metal scene, you know, at quite a young age. And he he, he was different. He he wanted to be different, and he, and he you know he he was different. And absolutely, he was a free spirit. Um, and and he made. I mean, while he was living, you know, as I said, a chaotic life of what, what many people would view it as. But when he was homeless, and I know he was part of the Occupy Cork uh, protest, um, and he was in Galway, and he was in Gort, he made friends. You know, the people oh, liked. He, he was a likable chap. Oh, absolutely. I'll I, I, be honest, Patricia. I've had not only did he the, the places you mentioned in Ireland. He travelled throughout Europe. He, he he left Ireland and headed over to England and then through England to France, into the into Belgium, into the Netherlands, and into Germany. You know, all the while um, living rough, all, all the while. You know, it, it was very streetwise for a person who had you know an awful lot of issues. But I've had telephone calls and I've made friends with people with in different parts of Europe who. Connor had one of those things that he never had, a, he, he, or he rarely had a telephone, but he always remembered my phone number. And he, he might ask someone in the street for the phone to ring me, or he might um, call, knock on somebody's door and ask could he use the phone. And different people have kept the phone numbers in their phones and then phoned me afterwards, concerned about him, wanting to know, did I know where he was? And... and so and people said he's just such a lovely boy, and he was a lovely, you know, he was a lovely young man as well, you know. And um, then his his health started to deteriorate. Yeah, his health started to deteriorate very quickly. To be honest with you, yeah. you know, it, um, you were getting phone it, calls because he'd been admitted, kept being admitted to hospital. Well, it, in the last couple of years, um, I, I, I was in. in I lose track of time. 2015, I got a call to say, um, no, 2016, I got a call to say he was in, he was in uh, ICU in in um, in Germany. Um, so obviously, I went, I went straight over to Germany. Um, I managed to get emergency passports and things like that. And when he was well enough to travel, we brought him back. Um, we brought him. I brought him back to Cork. Um, and he was immediately admitted into 
um, the Mercy Hospital in Cork City then as well. Um, and he, he, he was in heart failure. Um, so it, 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 it was a four-life situation, you know. He, 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 his heart couldn't cope. He'd, he'd have pneumonia. He, he, he was always a very slight lad. Mm. He just put on an enormous amount of weight just because his body it was all fluid. His body couldn't get rid of the fluid. So it was quite clear there were very, very serious problems. And uh, unless he was prepared to make a, an enormous change, in his life, then you know they, they were going to be they were going to be very serious. Was he aware? What, you know? Was he aware of the implications that if he oh, continued on the path he was on, where uh, he was heading? Absolutely. He was. The, the, the problem is, Connor would always lecture me about you know I, I I have common ailments of cholesterol or high blood pressure. Connor would always lecture me that the doctors don't know anything. Why are you doing taking tablets? You don't need to take tablets. But about get out in the country and get the air. <laughs> he was always, and, you know, and that's the way he looked upon it himself. You know, he, whilst he was in hospital, he would take his medication. When he came out of hospital, he had an awful lot of medication to take. And he wouldn't and very take quickly, them. He just, yeah. he just didn't see the, the so, point taking it. So. Uh, and um, as I said in the introduction, it was the, the 20th of uh, February, just a, a little over mm-hmm. uh, two years ago. Um mm. He passed away, and you were you were with him, and, and other family members were with him. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I'd been up in. Uh, I was very uh, fortunate that uh, a, a guard in Tullamore um, had had made some calls around, and, uh, and over the years, I'd had contact with the guardy um, where I'd lived. When you know, when I was trying to track Connor down, or for whatever reason, I've had lots of contact with with the guardy over the years with Connor. Um, fortunately. Um, the, the sergeant, the, the, the community sergeant, uh, um, Graham, I can't remember his surname. I, sh- I should do, but I just can't. He he'd made one or two calls around, and, and he'd fortunately come across someone in Cork who who uh, knew of me and had my number, and, and he got in touch to say Connor was in was in hospital. He was he, he wasn't very well, so obviously I, I went up straight away the the, the, the following morning. I, I was I was with him, um, and at that point he was just. He was he was just a, you know in a normal room or whatever, uh, although it was it was quite clear he was very very ill. Um, and then, so I, I spent the af- afternoon with him that afternoon. And... Are you still with us? That was yeah. That was a very difficult uh, time. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm very conscious that this is, and it's only two years ago. It's still very raw, uh, and you, you as a dad and as a family, did so much to try to help Connor. But we he, did. We yeah, did. that's uh, the. No, uh, and do, do you think he was left down by society, <laughs> by the no, state? I left down. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I do. I, I think that. Well, you know. Do I and don't I? I do. I, well, I, in general, I think there are so many people who are left down by society. We live in a society that's, that, that's governed and, you know, it's all about greed. It's all about, you know, it, 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 there's very little compassion. Uh, uh, I, you know, my, my views are we should live in a society that is based on compassion. It's based on kindness. It's based on looking after one another, you know, and... and, and and I, 
an awful lot of that. Um, no, <laughs> he, he grew up in a very, very loving environment, you know, and that environment was there for him. And he, and he walked away from that. He may well have, you know, walked away from anything that was anything that was there for him. He was a, he was a free spirit. But I think if we had been able to give him the the help that he needed when he was younger, so it, so he almost grew up with that and expected that rather than it just happening when he was fourteen or fifteen, and then all of a sudden he's being asked to be different to his friends. You know, that, that that's that's where that's where I think things went things wrong. Really. So things I, I, do, well. I do feel. That he, that he was let down. But you're not, uh, you're not, you are determined uh, not to let his death be in vain and for him to be remembered and hence the reason that you're doing this memorial walk. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. Well done, um, well done. And you're, you're raising money for um, a very obvious one is uh, the Cork Simon community and you're, it's, the other charity is to do, is linked to the DeGeorge syndrome, isn't it? Correct. DeGeorge is, is more commonly known these days. Uh, as 22Q11, basically because it's a genetic condition. It's the chromosome. It, it's to do with uh, chromosome 22, deletion of part 11 of chromosome 22, if you like, which is hence the name. Yeah. Um, so, so, yeah. And they, they, have, they, they have a support group, so, so the process. Okay, absolutely. so, and, we're, and it's the Maybank holiday weekend. You're walking from Galway City to Tullamore. Yeah, so Connor's best, Connor's best year of his adult life was spent around Spanish Arch uh, during the, a long, hot summer, and he made a lot of friends. Uh, and, and that was when he was at his happiest during his adult life. And then, obviously, he, he died in Tullamore. Um, he, he, he used to sleep under the king tree in the Charleville, edge of the Charleville estate there. So we felt that that was, a, that was um, an appropriate route, really, to go from, from Spanish Arch to, to, to the king tree in Tullamore. Well done. Well done. And uh, people can find out more of you on, on Connors, Connors slash walk dot com. Connors dash walk dot com. Dot com. Yeah. Listen, good yeah. luck with it, uh, Kieran. Thank you for sharing Connor's story uh, with us. You're, 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 you're a terrific dad. And, uh, and I'm sure wherever Connor is, he's smiling down at you. Uh, thanks for joining us. Uh, good morning to you. Bye bye. Bye bye. And uh, may Connor rest in peace. He was only 25. Uh, when he passed away. This is the Court Today replay on C103. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow wherever you are. 
tap the banner to go to monday.com. For residents of Mallow and beyond, the Easter weekend signals the commencement of the biggest event of the season for the region, and that's the renowned Racing Home for Easter Festival. Joining me to preview this year's festival, uh, Andrew Hogan, who is General Manager at the Cork Racecourse Mallow, and Sharon Nocton, who is Chairperson of the Racing Home for Easter Festival. Good morning to you both, and you're very, you're very welcome. Uh, Andrew, can I start with you? Weather forecast is great for the weekend. Does that make a big difference to the racing? Yeah, it's huge for the racing. Just move into that microphone there. Yeah, thank, good morning, Patricia. Good yeah, morning, it's huge. You. It's huge for racing. Um, like just everything is such a pleasure for race course when the weather is good. Uh, great sea temperatures, high, and really puts everybody in a good mood. It's like everything you're out you're out and indoors and just makes everything more relaxed easier for staff everything so really looking forward to a great weekend I suppose we kick off Saturday with a flat meeting and um, we're delighted to have KC doing DJ and the festival in the festival marquee during racing um, so that promises to be a great day and also we'll have the monster match on all screens so ok yeah. so people don't miss out on this the monster match out, so yeah. I'll, be, I'll be glued to it from 4 o'clock on if anyone's looking for me they won't be able to find me in the race <laughs> but course. there will be horses running at the <laughs> same time there will yeah. be horses and just to say that we have a special offer it's a five euro discount for anyone who wears their monster jersey on saturday so okay. to, to support the team and then i suppose heading on to sunday it's our big day yeah. like that's the biggest day it's a national hunt card and um, our feature race is the betway grade three steeplechase of forty thousand euros and of course it's ladies day one of the biggest attractions and the day our guest judge this year is Glenda Gilson and Muckras Park Hotel and Spa in Killarney are sponsoring a fantastic um, prize uh, for the penthouse suite and wow. spa treatment and, and ladies love it and they love to go to the effort don't they of dressing up yeah, it's, it's you know. brilliant to see the amount of people that dress up and um, it's just the day out and I suppose I'm, I'm not sure if my pronunciation is correct or my French is good I'm not a champagne drinker but Tat and Jay are sponsoring the first hundred ladies to enter the competition will get a free glass of champagne oh. so <laughs> get, get in there girls get in, get early. in there girls that's all Sunday and then you've got you've uh, you've Monday as well yeah Monday yeah. as well and just also on Sunday we're we're not all about the ladies the most stylish man, man is yeah. is suit distributors Cork are sponsoring 500 euros Judge, wasn't stylish. it Judge Michael Patwell kicked that off a number of years ago it was he pointed out it was unfair on the men yeah. and in fairness <laughs> in fairness to, to the race course in Mallow they were straight in to say okay we'll look after the men next year so they did uh, and that's that's just a yeah, fun bit no, to it as well I think everybody dresses up it's a great day out and why and shouldn't the men be why, looked after yeah. So, okay. so will you be looking very dapper yourself? You will. <laughs> I'll be trying, but <laughs> no, I, I have a lot of work to do. Okay, not allowed to enter. Okay, um, and then Monday. Monday then is our family day and point to point day. So it's a real core national hunt day and family day. We've a huge amount of family activity. It'll be all in the festival marquee. So I know the weather is good. So um, you're covering all the options. We're covering yeah. all the options. We it's all under 14s are free entry on Monday and every activity is free once you get in from magic shows, puppet shows. Wow. Um, point to points though are great family day outs and they're, they're yeah and there's it, a there's a lot of fans of point to points around it here. It is like Cork in the county in general is the home oh, of point, point to pointing point, yeah. and like I suppose just looking at it you had 
Davy Russell winning the, the yeah. doing the jewel winning the two the years in a row with Tiger Roll in the Grand National. He started off point to pointing, and the amount of of top quality horses that are produced here in Cork and all the trainers around is definitely the home of it and we're delighted to give a race day to it and all the young amateurs and we also have a pony race afterwards for the younger generation I think that got one of the biggest cheers Did it? yeah <laughs> of the day last year so we'll um, be doing that again this year we're doing, we're doing that alright it's certainly a very busy lineup. Uh, Sharon Nocton is also with us who's chairperson of the Racing Home for Easter Festival uh, this year. Good morning, Sharon. Um, ten years of the festival. It's it's really been growing, hasn't it, year on year? Good morning, Patricia. Yes, it's fabulous. We're ten years in. Uh, the Racing Home for Easter Festival is taking place from Saturday to Monday. We anticipate in excess of 24,000 visitors to Mallow this weekend, which is wonderful, bringing local businesses and wider community together. There's a fun packed weekend. Some of the highlights include a treasure hunt around Mallow Town, a dog show, range of kids entertainment. We have a food and craft fair happening on Castle Grounds on Saturday and Sunday with over 30 stalls each day. Now that's proven to be very popular on previous years because people can walk around because you can taste things as well. And and, and what I love about it is you're able to buy things that you wouldn't see in, in, in many Elsewhere. other fairs, yeah, yes. which is great. And the food and craft fair, the stalls are growing each year. Yeah, yeah. It's Pe- absolutely fabulous. People want to take part. Yes. And we, we are truly blessed in having the grounds of the castle as a venue. It's a real plus, isn't it? Particularly for something like what you're trying to organise this weekend. It's absolutely fabulous to be using the castle yeah. for this weekend. And it's great to bring everyone into Mallow and the location and the scenery is stunning there. Um, th- there'll also be live music each evening in the local pubs. Okay. And we have decided this year an entry fee to cover all rides. One sig- single charge covers food and craft fare, all rides, music and entertainment. Adults are five euro, children three euro, under threes go free and 15 euro for a family ticket. And you can pay for that at the gate of, you can of, pay for that of the castle. The gate okay. On the way in. Okay. And, and as we've been saying, the weather's going to be great. So it's, it's going to be all roads will lead uh, to the castle. And as you say, you've got the night time. Uh, any of the pubs, all of the pubs will, will have various different uh, activities uh, going on. Um, f- financially, um, Andrew, what is, an, what is an event like this worth to the local economy? 2016 UCC carried out a. Uh, um, an economic um, study. impact study yeah. and it was 765,000 they said it generated for My the local goodness. economy and for the last few years it seems to be going from strength to strength so I'd say that's getting closer to a million now yeah. and I have to say just to support I'd like to thank all the, the sponsors both for the festival and the race course like, I just call into them do you know what I mean and ask them for sponsorship every year they give like it's huge sponsorship they're giving and there's no such thing like some of them are sponsoring for I know the in the race course for over 20 years 
and they're, you walk in, they're writing you the check straight away. Brilliant. It's just, I can't yeah. believe the support the community give down here from all the businesses, vintners, all the volunteers. But Sharon, you, you as a business person would know that. I mean, bringing people into, into the town is just so important, isn't it? And particularly at this time of the year, because it's early in the season. Yes, it's so important for local businesses yeah. um, to bring like 24,000 visitors coming into Mallow this weekend is huge. Most towns are killed for that. Yeah, and yeah. like the entertainment that's going to be put on this weekend, Patricia, like there's Rodeo Ball, Bouncy Castles, our own centre stage will be performing. There'll be live music on the castle ground Saturday and Sunday. New Vintage are playing, Long Beach, Kilshanic Score. And even on Saturday, we have Rebel Brass, which were on the Late Late Toy Show. Yeah, so, so it's absolutely and, wonderful. And something for every taste. For and and, uh, and uh, somebody's asking about the shuttle buses from the train station. Yeah. Um, the Andrew. shuttle buses, we have shuttle buses from the train station running. Um, if they go to Cork Racecourse.ie, they'll get the times. But I think starting at half half 11 on each day half 11 12 o'clock running every 30 minutes afterwards they, they'll also running from the high B Hibernian Hotel and the Arches pub on Sunday and they'll be also dropping back into the Arches the castle the high B so you've no excuse yeah, everyone you have to can, spend the night okay, and someone wants to point out um, uh, can you tell your guest our guest is um, Andrew Hor- Horgan from the race course that the, the monster match is at 3 o'clock not 4 o'clock apologies <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for that. You'll Thanks missed for the that. first hour. <laughs> Listen, we got to leave it there. Best of luck to both of you, um, Sharon. Yeah, very briefly. Yes, and um, just one more important point. I would also like to thank Cork County Council, the Municipal Authority, all our sponsors, friends of the festival, event coordinator Jerry M- Murphy, Racing Home for Easter Festival Committee, volunteers, and all the people that have given up their free time. Without all these people, it wouldn't be possible to run the festival. Okay, thanks for that, Andrew and uh, Sharon. uh, Enjoy the weekend as well. That's what it's all about. And thanks for joining us. You're listening to Cork Today on replay. Phone and text lines are currently closed. Keep your gardening questions coming for Peter Dowdell, our resident gardener, who'll join us after half past 12 today, 1850-333-103. Text your WhatsApp 0862-103-103. Some of your texts coming into the programme. Dennis in Cork says, Hi Patricia, I am infuriated at the FAI for their so-called gardening leave for John Delaney. What an insult to all the hardworking people of Ireland who are lucky to be able to get holidays and then Delaney has to be treated special the whole FAI and Delaney should be sacked ASAP says Dennis in Cork and of course we know the FAI uh, currently engulfed in the biggest crisis in its history the entire board now are preparing to step down and the scope of the investigation now seems to be widening. The latest that's supposed to come out was that the auditors, their auditors, Deloitte, reported that they reported the company for failing to keep proper accounting records, which, of course, is a potentially criminal offence. But then that got me thinking when I heard about Deloitte. And I said, well, hang on a sec. Deloitte are the auditors. They've been signing off on the FAI's most recent accounts. You know, why didn't they come out and say there was something wrong then? But I read that Deloitte say that they there was no, when they signed off on the accounts, there was nothing to indicate that there was nothing wrong. However, 
Those filings made clear that the auditors relied on the information provided by the directors and that the directors themselves are responsible for the preparation of the financial statements. You kind of look at that and think, what do we have auditors for at all? So, yeah, so, so the directors hand it and say, yeah, that's all above board and correct. And the auditors just sign off. And it just make, really doesn't make any sense uh, to me that that's the way the system works. So therefore, it is back on the directors is what Deloitte are saying, because they have discovered that they didn't keep proper accounting records and that is a criminal offence and it'll be a criminal offence for the directors. John Delaney uh, is has stepped aside. He hasn't stepped down. I think that's the point that's annoying so many uh, people. He's still, he's just stepped aside from his role as Executive Vice Pre- President but the FAI have said yes, he is still on the payroll. There remains little clarity on his immediate future as a forensic audit of the association joins the growing list of the investigations that are already going to be um, carried. They already were, were already underway and will continue to be underway. Sports Minister Shane Ross has described it as the beginning of the end for the FAI. But if you're going through various papers, newspapers today, uh, you know, the fact that John Delaney is still not gone, he is still on the payroll. It's not to say that he's going to go. I mean, some people are, are speculating that while the entire board may go, John Delaney, they may find some role somewhere for John Delaney, but it is been it is been said that he is on gardening leave at the moment, and that's the reason that he is still on the payroll, and that's infuriated so many people, including our Dennis in Cork, who has texted us. He's so annoyed about it. Thank you for your text, Dennis. Jared says, hi, Patricia. This is when I was mentioning Good Friday, being just around the corner. Jared says, Patricia, do you remember the town that all the pubs refused to open on last Easter, Good Friday? Can't remember the name. Yeah, I mentioned it earlier. Newmarket was certainly one of the areas and we also have discovered this village in County Meath that didn't open last year uh, as well. I mean, certainly our own one in Newmarket got a lot of publicity last year. Anyway, Jerry says, I, I haven't heard or read anything in the media about them doing the same thing this year. Maybe they realised how much business they lost out on to nearby towns. Could you find out for us, please? Says Jared. Well, John Paul tells me I'm going to be interviewing um some of the publicans tomorrow who are opting to close on Good Friday. Newmarket is on the list and some pubs in Mallow. Now, I don't know, and we'll find out more tomorrow, I don't know in Newmarket, because last year they had six, there were six pubs, don't know if there's still six pubs, and all six publicans got together and opted to close I don't know, I can find this out tomorrow, if all six are going to close. But seemingly there's some pubs in Mallow as well. I imagine you'll get, there will be still, and I'm sure there was last year as well, some of the pubs will just decide, no, I'm going to stick with the tradition. We always close on Good Friday and going to continue to close on Good Friday. Because nobody is forcing anyone to open on Good Friday. And can I also say, nobody's forcing anyone to go in and have a drink when people are given out saying that they can't believe that somebody would go and have a drink on Good Friday, a day of fast and abstinence. Nobody forces anyone. It's an individual uh, choice. There's some questions for Peter. Thank you. Lord Mayor. Hi, Patricia. A new Lord Mayor. This would. This will only be another political barrier between the people and the politicians. It will immediately create a major class distinction between county and city dwellers. Financially well, like the children's hospital we have an initial figure and then guess what, we'll have the add-ons. Anything for political accountable, anything for a politically accountable quango 
says a texter. So I'm assuming if that person, I don't know because it's been by text, I don't know where they're texting from. If they were texting from the city, I'm assuming they will be ticking no on the box. Do you want a directly elected uh, mayor? Let me stay with the mayor for a moment. Uh, Morning, Patricia. Uh, I heard you comment on the mayor. I have many times said how unfair these things are. Why people putting people in the towns against people in rural areas. We that live in rural areas are always left on the long finger when anything we ask for all the powers that be seem to live in towns or close to the towns, therefore never affected by the issues that affect us that live in rural areas. Thank God for the likes of Deputy Michael Collins in West Cork. He does try hard. We need to remember that when people come out to vote. Whatever these candidates will put their voices to our concerns. They are the ones we should be voting for. Uh, They are the ones that need to start working for us. Another texter says, is there not... Oh, this is to do with Mary O'Driscoll that we started the programme with. You know, Mary, the young mother who's trying to fundraise to get a wheelchair accessible car for her little son who has a life-limiting condition and uh, he's getting heavy and it's hard to get him in and out of the car. So if she's trying to raise 20,000, she's up a GoFundMe page. She's in Skibbereen. There will be fundraising. You know, she, she mentioned somebody's good organised fundraising bingo. There'll probably be coffee mornings and when we get word of any of those fundraising events, we'll let you know about them so that people can um, try to support Mary and see if we can get that money away so she can get the vehicle as quickly as possible. Someone says, is there not a government scheme or a HSE grant to help that poor lady get a car for her young son. Our county, our country seems to be gone crazy when we're worried about directly elected mayors and we're worried about the head of and head of the HSE getting supposedly €300,000 and we can't get our basic rights. We need to look after those who need it. And we also need to be more compassionate in our ways, says a, a texter. And I don't know of, I will check when I come off air. I've, I have, I've never heard of a scheme that would give a wheelchair accessible vehicle to somebody. I know, and it was the one of the schemes that straight away, wasn't it? One of our listeners called Dennis was on to us giving tips and words of advice for Mary that when she gets the money together that oh you know she needs to get a primary medical cert which means she can purchase the vehicle and it'll be vehicle she'll have the VRT off it and she'll be able to get her VAT back and her petrol and all that you don't pay road tax or you don't so there are schemes in place to help people to get a wheelchair accessible taxi or a wheelchair accessible car or to adapt a car but I don't know if there's any grant that she can just go to and apply and they'll pull up a car outside her house, unfortunately. 1850 Keep your gardening questions coming for Peter, please. The C103 Cork Diary. With Cork County Council. Supporting businesses, supporting communities, serving Cork. Visit corkcoco.ie. The Vikings in Ireland, a historical talk presented by Dr John Sheehan from UCC that's going ahead in the Heritage Room in Kilmurray Independence Museum. And that is on tonight at eight o'clock. The Lee Valley Players are performing a play called The Blarney Stone. It stars Hollywood actor Patrick Bergen. It's a gem of a musical that is suitable for all the family, full of laughter and tears. And performances will take place on the 25th, 26th and 27th of April next. And again on the 3rd, 4th of May at eight o'clock each night. Venue is the Riverside Park Hotel in McCroom. And tickets on sale from McCroom.ie. 
an information meeting on hemochromatosis, a condition which causes an overload of iron in the blood, will be held in the Clayton Hotel on Lapsky in Cork. We did an interview about this last week. It is on tonight at half past seven. Laura Community Alert Group, they've got their AGM, eight o'clock tonight in Laura National School. While for Moy Widows, they are meeting tonight, 8.15 in the Resource Centre. The guest on the night is Sean Roach. All widows and friends are welcome to come along. Drina Community Playgroup, they host their annual fundraising bingo. Good Friday night at eight o'clock. Lots of prizes and all are welcome. And Copine and District Vintage Run will be held this Saturday. It starts from the um, Copine Bar at 12 noon. And just a quick couple of texts in before we move on. Listening to your programme, I can't for the life of me understand why anyone would think it's a good idea to give one person so much power as a directly elected mayor. They will be in the position for five years. Don't forget, we live in a very corrupt country and giving one person that amount of power could be a recipe for disaster says one of our listeners. And on John Delaney, Jim says, hi Patricia. So John Delaney is on gardening leave from the FAI and still on the payroll. Nice work if you can get it. She's great weather for the gardening, says Jim. Maybe Peter Dowdle could take him on for work experience or show him the ropes. <laughs> Thanks for that, uh, Jim. And if you've got a question for Peter, get it in, please. 1850 But before we turn our attention to gardening, I want to go to the phone line where Bernadette um, in, is from Tim League, but I'm assuming she's in CUH at the moment. Uh, good afternoon to you, Bernadette. Good afternoon, Patricia. Actually, I'm actually here in Bannon College with my mum. Okay. Right. Okay, the um, reason that you're not in Tim League and the reason that you're up in the city, your dad's in a spot of bother. That's right. My dad will be 90 in August and my dad is a diabetic and was transferred last night. Now, he's also a VHI, but this is not about being, about being a VHI patient right? or a medical card patient either, Right. But my father is still at this moment in time on a trolley. Now, when I did ring them, I can't ring because my um because I'd stay with my mum because my mum's eighty eight and my mum is up the walls as you can appreciate. Okay. Over her husband, they've been together over sixty odd years. So the problem is when I rang them and and they were very apologetic and they said and they were doing their best and I said, well, what's the problem? And she said, basically, the problem is the nurse said that we have no, we haven't got, we haven't got the beds here, basically. And I said, fair enough, we'll do something about it. So the reason I'm getting on is because just before um, he contacted me there, right, I rang the Department of Health, could get no answer. I then actually rang a TD, right. Um, I said I'll go to Finnegan TD from the area, and they were going to see what they would do. But my issue is, why can't the people of Ireland become one voice? and sign a petition and stand up for the rights of the citizens of Ireland. The likes of my father and my mother and many other people like them have, be, have been the backbone of this country. And I think at this day and age, it's an absolutely disgrace the way they're being treated. And I really believe, and I'm hoping, Patricia, that people will come together and decide enough is enough. It's a very soluble problem. And what the people do is we all stand together as one voice, as we did with the water rates, and saying we're not putting up with anymore. We're going to sign petitions and we're going to take to our streets. It is a human right and it's a civil right. And I think if we can't look after our elderly, what chance has this country got? So forgive me, I'm very irate. No, and, and, and day, listen, and, un- and understandably so, a 90-year-old man should not be lying on a trolley. Now over... 
Is he? He's there since ten o'clock last night. So yeah, he's... he went in at he went sorry he went in around eight o'clock and he was given a trolley around ten and I rang him there okay. about fifteen minutes ago and they said we're sorry he's still in the trolley. So it'll be this afternoon before he gets to bed. Oh, they they can't tell me. I'm just getting the figures for the, there's forty seven people so your dad along with forty six others are on trolleys waiting to be admitted to the wards. Yes, but and... he's ninety years of age. Oh, no. Surely to the goodness they, you know, you don't treat your elderly. We cannot afford to treat your elderly people like that because we're going to all be there one day. And is there and anybody saying, with? Is there anybody with your dad? I know you're you're looking after your mum. Yeah, I'm looking after my mum at the moment, right? So I have to be bringing in and ringing out. So is there, has he any other? My mum. My mum is eighty eight, and I can't leave my mum is off the walls, as you can appreciate. My mum, in actual fact, fought for nurses when she was a staff nurse for years and years. Has you your has your I dad any other? Is there any other family member with your dad? Yes, my brother. Okay, all right. He has. I just want to make sure he has somebody. Yeah. No, 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 and, no. And no, is no, he is he is he okay? Is is he feeling very unwell? Is he very uncomfortable on the trolley? Do you know? He's very disorientated. Okay. On the trolley. God help him. You know, he's, <sighs> he's, he's, he's very disorientated because, like, I mean, he he he's not compre- he's comprehension at ninety years of age wouldn't be as as, as as alert as you or mine would be. But my concern is, what should happen if he falls off the trolley? That's my concern. That's why, thank God, your it's brother is there. a safety issue here as well. Yeah. And I'm just wondering, Patricia, could, would the people of Ireland, would they consider becoming one voice instead of, what I'm saying is, the Department of Fighting Among Each Other, that's never going to solve a problem. It's divide and conquer. But if the people of Ireland got behind the nurses, got behind the healthcare and said, right, enough's enough, we're demanding this. It's our civil right. It's our human right. We built those hospitals. And let the people see, right, and that we are, we're no longer going to put up with this. So and you're saying, get, you're saying get out on the streets like what we did for the water charges. Yes. And that's... And sign petitions. And, and, and that works. Yes, it would, it would have worked for water. Surely it works for life. Because yeah. they're not, the government aren't going to listen. So it's pointless fighting about ourselves. So let's do something constructive. And the constructiveness is that we become one voice, we come behind the nurses, come in behind the doctors, irrespective of whether you're a medical card or a VHI, and change the politics that are being played out here. Somebody says the people in this country won't open their mouths. The government are making mugs of the Irish uh, people. Somebody else said that woman is so right in what she's saying. We do need to get out on the streets. We do need to tell this government uh, that enough is enough. Okay. All right. Listen, Bernadette, I appreciate your call, uh, particularly with everything that's going on. And and I hope your dad gets sorted sooner rather than later and that he gets sorted out and he gets home and back home with with, with your mum. Listen, look after yourself. Much, well, but I, I would just consider that people would consider taking this on board because it won't be just my parents it'll be somebody else's parents tomorrow yeah. alright alright thanks thank for that God bless okay. bye bye that bye. is uh, Bernadette from Timberlake but joining us from the city at the moment where her dad is a patient one of the what do we say 47 on trolleys at the moment 47 on a trolleys waiting but at 90 yeah uh, should you you We've we've come across situations like this before in the past. We've seen, I mean, we had the we had the cold black, didn't we? The week last week or the week before, where there was huge congestion at the hospital. But there's something 
really heartbreaking when you think of a 90 year old man, you know, who worked all of his life, paid all of his taxes. And now in, you know, the autumn of his years, he needs a little bit of help. He needs a bit of compassion and a bit of humanity shown to him. Should there be some kind of a system whereby we fast track or give priority or maybe I'm completely wrong maybe that's not the way it should work I mean you'd like to assume the priority is done on the basis of who needs it the most from a clinical medical medical clinical point of view whoever needs it the most but when you hear of a 90 year old man who's a little bit disorientated getting on in years not too sure what's going on it must be very frightening for him to be in a situation like that where he's on a trolley, doesn't quite know what's going on and the fact that he's been seen by a doctor who's assessed him and says, yeah, this gentleman needs to be admitted. So he's unwell. So he's sick at the same time and there's confusion and he's disorientated and he's left on a trolley. Is there a peck? I don't know how this is done, but is there? A, you would like to think that there is a pecking order, and that he will get a bed above somebody who also needs to be admitted, but perhaps is more compassionate and knows what's what's going on. I don't know if it operates like that or not, but it just it's heartbreaking to think of that ninety-year-old man on a trolley like that as we speak in CUH, and he's poor. 80, the younger woman that he's married at 88 and she at home distraught, worried about her poor husband. God help them. Let's hope that that, as I say, gets uh, gets sorted quickly. This is the Court Today replay on C103. C103 presents Thunderland! Creamfields to Moor Road this April. News, thrilling rides, The Hangover, The Giant Wheel, and The Magic Mouse Roller Coaster. Thunderland, Creamfields to Moor Road from April 10th until 28th. Adventure for all the family. Book your tickets now at Thunderland.com. With C103. Record today on C103. Text or WhatsApp Patricia with your comment. 086 2103 103. And Peter Dowdle, theirishgardener.com, uh, joins me on this Wednesday afternoon. Good afternoon to you, Peter. Good afternoon, uh, Patricia. And How are you? I'm, I'm very well, and you're very welcome. And a lot of people, obviously, are either out in the garden or planning on getting out in the garden because the weather forecast is just peach for the next few days. <laughs> It's at Easter is the time where we all kind of get out there, isn't it? it really is, and like, was it Monday? Was that Sunday and Monday? Monday was, was the was the atrocious. Really, no, mo- yeah. Sunday was bad, but Monday was was really bad. And then the following day, it's like a different country. So yeah. hopefully now that was the end of the winter weather, and we're straight into the summer for the next six months. Oh, it'll be great. It would really be great. Okay, hi, uh, Peter and Patricia. I have a patch of wild garlic after getting established in my lawn. I tried digging it out last year, but it looks like I've only spread it. How can I get rid of it? It's like a weed. Thanking you. Well, it's a weed or, or wildflower, depending on which hat yeah. you wear. Um, <laughs> Really, there is, I have no magic wand on this one. There is there is no easy way around it. it. It really is digging it out is all you can do with the bulb. So you need to go down quite deep to get all the bulbs out. And even then, I'd say you probably still won't. But you will weaken it each time. You haven't spread it, um, I wouldn't think, by, by, by trying to dig it out last year. Just keep trying to dig it. Uh, even if you did want to use a weed killer like glyphosate, um, which, is, which is the active ingredient in Roundup and nearly all weed killers, uh, even if you did want to use that, it's not that successful. You will have more success by digging it out. Now, it may mean you're digging out half the lawn or a cer- certain uh, part, large part of the lawn, which may need to be redone. But it, it, I'm afraid it's just a question of a, a bitter pill. You'll have to 
you'll have to do that, dig it up to get it, and maybe it will need incorporating fresh topsoil and, and putting down some fresh seed. A lot of work there. Marion has uh, been on. Our lear- our learn- sorry, Trish, our learn to love it as I always That's say. it, learn that's it. it. Yeah. It's like me with the daisies. I love my daisies. Yeah. Marion says, my wisteria has flowered twice a year for the past seven years, but is now not flowering at all. There are no buds or shoots. The wood is dry and brittle. There are, however, new shoots at the base. The wisteria is over 20 years old. I have taken a soil test and it says it's very alkaline. I've tried putting phosphorus down at the base. Is it dead or can it be saved? Thanking you. It's one of these ones that without seeing it, it's quite difficult to answer, but it sounds pretty dramatic. Uh, and first, first thing uh, to deal with there is the soil test and the pH and it being alkaline. So if the pH is wrong, if the soil pH is wrong, it's not going to dramatically kill any plant, particularly a 20-year-old plant, overnight or even over a period of a few months. Uh, if the soil pH is wrong, the plant won't thrive, but it won't thrive for years. It'll just, it'll just disimprove each year. This is something, it sounds to me, something environmental. So in other words, if you have an established wisteria, which is a climbing plant, and suddenly it all dies which it sounds like the stems are brittle, there's no shoots coming on. That sounds like something environmental, like, for example, oil could have been spilled nearby or weed killer drifted onto it. Something dramatic happened to it to knock it back so quickly and so dramatically. We didn't have an incredibly severe winter, so it's unlikely to be that. It's unlikely to have been last year's drought because it's over 20 years of age. If it was a new plant, I'd say that's very possible. Now, the the fact that it's coming on with new shoots from, from At the, the base, base of the plant yeah. means that life isn't gone like what what has gone brittle and isn't producing buds that growth unfortunately is probably gone it's probably finished but there's still life in the root system so it is regenerating you know, the, the bad news is what's gone is gone but the good news is it will probably regenerate relatively quickly uh, you probably won't have flowers this year but within two or three years I'd expect to see that probably every bit as vigorous as it was up to now hopefully but I would remove I would remove any dead growth that's there where possible. I, I say where possible because it could be climbing on walls. and tr- Especially after 20 years. Yeah. yeah. The only other thing is if it wasn't an environmental thing like weed, weed killer spray or, or, as I say, oil or pollution or something like that, or maybe something went in near it like a heat recovery unit or a vent or a gas boiler or something like that. Uh, but if it wasn't anything like that... Um, Perhaps it has got a fungal infection. It's, it's, it's impossible to say without seeing it. OK. All right. Mary in Boherbui wants to know, potato fertiliser. She said, can I use it on my shrubs and flowers? I do put it on my lawn. Potato fertiliser is quite a high potassium fertiliser to, to, for memory. So it would be good for the lawn in the, in the autumn, autumn, winter, where it, because potassium would promote good root development in the lawn. Where we, we, the reason it's used for vegetables and potatoes in particular is because they like high potassium to produce their crops. Um, so you could use it on your other flowers. I don't. I tend not to. I actually would, would use just a general organic fertiliser in my veg beds and my fruit beds. But uh, with the potato fertiliser, you could use it on your other plants and flowers. High potassium is just it, it should lead to a, a bit of an increase in flowers, certainly. OK. Someone got in very early with a text this morning says, uh, uh, Helen says, uh, hi, uh, question for, for Peter, please. I have an agapanthus in a pot for about four years. It didn't flower very well last year. If I put it in the open ground, should I divide it up and would that help? Agapanthus flower when they get congested. Uh, in other words, when the root system gets congested. So the fact that it didn't flower well last year, I would ask the question, did it flower well in the previous years? And I suspect that the answer is no. Uh, in which case, 
it may flower better this year because the more congested it gets, the better it will do. So if you take it out of the pot now, divide it and replant it, you're, you're kind of starting from scratch in that now you're planting it outside. It has all this root room. Uh, you know, it will start naturally congesting, but it will take a few years. You can take it out of the pot. You can divide it. You can plant it outside. But it, it would probably take a couple of years for it to start flowering properly again. My advice would be leave it in the pot for this year. Feed it with the, the liquid form of the Nature Safe, which is a good uh, liquid plant food to promote flowering. Feed it quite a lot with that over the summer. I think you're going to have a good flowering uh, display from it this year because it is more congested in the pot. If so, there's your answer. If not, then uh, come next winter or this winter, uh, do what you're suggesting. Lift it out of the pot, divide it and plant it out. Okay, Mike in Bantry says, Hi Peter, my grandfather used to paint the bottom part of the apple tree trunk with a white wash. I'm wondering, do people still do it? And if so, why do they do it? They don't still do it. They do it, you know where you'd see it, is in uh, Greece. They still do it in Greece. And uh, in Athens in particular, in, in, they paint the, the base of their, not their apples, but their citrus plants. And I remember speaking to somebody over there once and asking them, they were saying is, is um it keeps the stem cool, not something we're doing here, not something we have to worry about here, but also it repels aphids. Uh, I don't know why his grandfather used the whitewash here. Maybe the lime content would would stop uh, some of the aphids and that from overwintering. I don't know. Um, I haven't heard of it happening here before, so so I don't know. But I'll ask around yeah. what you would be used to people painting on apples here is a tar wash or a winter wash, which will stop our, our grease bands, which stops uh, insects from climbing the stem and... and um, and that works. And, and that works. But the tar wash is, a, I, I'd recommend a winter wash, an organic winter wash instead of the tar, the tar oil. But um, I haven't heard of the, the white wash before. Okay. Tom in Neusistan has a Grisolinia hedge that has gone too high and too strong. Is now a good time of the year to give it a good cutting back. Thinking you. Can't you. That. you no, can't do that. No, you can't. <laughs> you're not Wrong yeah. season. Yeah. Yeah, you're not allowed. The, the best time to do it would be the end of February. Uh, so our Obviously, now you want to do it now. You're not allowed to do it now. And the reason being is the, the Wildlife Act. So you're protecting wildlife so, because birds could be nesting in the hedge. So it's actually illegal and against the law under the Wildlife Act to cut back your hedge until September. But the good news is September is the perfect time to cut back a Grisolinia hedge. So come September, cut it back. And you'll be able to do it then and, and, and everything will be fine. OK, hi. I have two palm trees in pots. They're about three foot high. All I do is water them. But they're a bit pale looking now and not as green as they had been on previous years. Should I put manure onto them? Or what would Peter think, thanking you? They've got too big for the pot. Yeah. As simple as that. They need to go into a bigger pot. So manure or fertilising or even liquid fertiliser will help them to a degree, but it won't give them what they need at this stage. Nature is nature and it just they, the roots need more room. They need more nutrients. They need more soil. So either into a bigger pot or into the open ground, which can be done at this time of the year. Hi, Peter. Can I put lawn gold down now? Mary from Mallow wants to know. Yes, and I would put it down now because it is a moss will colonise lawns that are under stress, and they'll be under stress due to lack of nutrients. So the lawn gold will give them the the correct amount of nutrients at this time of the year, which will prevent it getting under stress. And also by changing the pH of the soil in the lawn, uh, you're creating conditions which moss just cannot tolerate. But certainly start start the, the lawn gold now, yeah. Helen says, hi, Peter, my son has a red robin hedge. He set it about three or four years ago. He trimmed the top, but it's very thin 
down along the bottom of it. Any advice to thicken it out, please? Yeah, he needs to do a bit more than trim the top. He needs to cut it back quite hard to do that, to encourage encourage growth down low. So when you're cutting it back now, or when he's cutting it back now, and again, not now, because it's the wrong time of the year, even though if it's that pin, there's very unlikely to be any, any wildlife nesting in it. Um, by cutting it back quite a bit harder, you're going to encourage side shoots to, to come into growth, which will thicken it up, obviously, down lower. But just be careful when you're cutting it back. Don't remove all the foliage. So if it's very bare down low, just cut it back ensuring that you're leaving at, at least one leaf or pair of leaves per stem. Uh, so it could be a gradual thing, but you're just, he just hasn't been cutting it back hard enough thus far. Uh, Mary in Kildare says, I've got a Christmas cactus flower. Last three to four years it was in a pot and it was lovely, but this year, since Christmas, it looks like it's dying. It was in flower at Christmas. Any idea? Do I need to feed it? Is it because it's pot bound? What can I do to save it? Sometimes, uh, as I'm sure you'd agree with me, Trish, is sometimes after they flower particularly well, they look they dreadful, look very <laughs> wilting and, and 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 hungry and sick. They just all their energy has gone into the flowers, and they're taking time to to recoup, if you like. Um, so it could well be that, and I suspect that's what it is. But there are other problems, like there are other possibilities. It could have been too damp or too wet. So I, but without seeing it, it's impossible to say. But send a photograph in, either send it to myself on Facebook, the Irish Gardener, or send it into the radio station. I'll have a look at it certainly uh, and come back with, with anything. Yeah, because I have a friend of mine, and he's fantastic with the. He's got a go- gorgeous array of Christmas cactus. But he admits that that during the year, he says sometimes they can look like really ugly plants, and they then really they're can, just yeah. they're spectacular when they flower. I mean, they really yeah. are. But then out of season, they're not yet. They're not the prettiest looking, um, that's for sure. Okay, uh, what else has come in? Hi, uh, Peter. Uh, what trees can I plant in my lawn at this time of the year? And they put, this is from Sheila, and she puts in brackets, cherry blossoms, question mark, question mark. She's looking to plant yes, trees. Yeah, absolutely. Like, like I obviously I don't know the lawn, I don't know the garden, so I can't I can't suggest what would be a good tree for that situation because I don't know it. But uh, in terms of which trees can you plant at this time of the year, provided they're growing in containers in pots in the garden centre, you can plant any tree at all. So so it's just the bare root or root bald trees where you're limited by time because they can only be lifted out of the ground in the nursery at certain times of the year. So the bare root or root bald trees are November to March, but anything that's containerized growing in a pot in the garden centre can be planted 12 months of the year. Just pay attention to watering during the summer. Okay, Tom has suggested to the lady with the wild garden, the wild garlic, she should be eating it. We, yes, have, we, we have it in our salad, says salad. Tom. Yeah, yeah, yeah it is, it is the great. Bees love it. Yeah, it is. You see, that's the one thing about the, and we have to think of bees, and we're trying to do our bit, our bit for, for to keep the bee population going. Hi, Peter. I sprayed my roses with copper sulphate, but they are slow getting fresh leaf. Should I be concerned? No, that should that wouldn't be anything to do with the copper sulphate. Um, roses, if they're, I'm presuming by the sound of it that they were pruned as well. Sorry, the reason I'm presuming they were pruned is because if the caller was diligent enough to be out at the right time of the year with the copper sulphate, I'm sure they were diligent enough to have pruned it as well. So um, I wouldn't be too worried the fact that the leaves are so. That's nothing to do with the copper sulphate. So I'd say just give it a bit of time. I'd say this, this weekend coming now with the high temperatures, we should see a lot of growth. OK, here's a very general question. Could you ask Peter, please, what are the best plants for hanging baskets? By the way, I'm not very green-fingered. Well, <laughs> so somebody trying funny. to start out, I, I yeah, imagine. Well, it, it, 
it is a general question, but it's why I'm kind of laughing to myself because I'm just doing a video at the moment on Hanging Basket Plant and it's for social media, it's for the Irish Gardener on Facebook. Uh, so I, I'm, I can tell you exactly what we've been using. Brilliant. Uh, we're using Serfinia petunias, which are the trailing petunias, which are about the best of all for hanging baskets. They, they really give you that, what I call the conicilty effect, you know, where you see buildings just dripping with colour. And just so, gorgeous. <clears throat> magic. So um, trailing petunias, trailing geraniums, upright geraniums for the centre, trailing fuchsias. Uh, for foliage, look at a plant called Napita, or ivy is another one, obviously. Um, then Biden's aurea, which is a lovely yellow one, and Bacopa snowflake, which is a white trailing plant, are very, very important, again, going back to biodiversity and the pollinators, because an awful lot of the bedding plants that we use are very, very intensively hybridised, and therefore they have next to zero uh, amounts of pollen for the bees. But this Bacopa snowflake and Biden's aurea, and it's great news because I use them anyway because I love them. Um, but I would say to everybody who's planting a hanging basket or a window box this year, do look for those plants. Biden's aurea and Bacopa snowflake, they're two plants which are loved by the bees and the pollinators. So we can still plant our bedding, but just make sure we put some of the good plants in with it. Um, so there's a good few names there for, for to get the, the hanging okay. basket started. And and you're saying, uh, do, when will that go up on your Facebook page? Uh, that one will go up the first week in May, which okay. is probably just a bit early to be encouraging hanging baskets, yes. Okay. All right, listen, we'll leave it there. Thank you for that. Lovely, thanks, Trish. And thanks for talk joining you. us and we'll talk to you again next week. That is uh, Peter Dowdle of the uh, IrishGardener.com. That's where I wrap it up for today. Before I go, a reminder, a reminder that the Irish Hemacrosis Association are holding that information meeting tonight in the Clayton Hotel. Dr James Ryan, consultant endocrinologist, will be the guest uh, speaker. And the best of luck to everybody taking part in the Ballantotus, the annual, the 10th annual Ballantotus Four Mile Road Race uh, due to start at 8 o'clock this evening. A reminder, they reckon about a thousand people are going to be taking part and a reminder to uh, all the competitors taking part if you could please make a special effort to carpool they're trying to cut down on the number of cars who will be heading to Ballantotius for the four mile road race but good luck to everybody who's taking part in that uh, race that's where I leave you for today my thanks to John Paul McNamara for producing Nick Richards is with you for the afternoon and we're back with you tomorrow morning at 10 until then Patricia Messenger Even when we're on a budget we still deserve nice things Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Mm. 